This sermon was recorded online during our season of Shelter in Place in Mountain View, California. If you've been with us for a while, then you know that we're in the Gospel of Matthew through our lectionary text and also in the Epistle of Romans. And Matthew has been talking about the kingdom of heaven. We've been exploring that as a community, the kingdom of heaven described in parables, the kingdom of heaven on display through actions like the feeding of the 5,000, the kingdom of heaven and its implications for disciples is what we looked at not too long ago where we are called to take up our cross and follow him, follow Jesus daily. And now we come into a shift where we're not Matthew's not using kingdom of heaven language, but he's using, he's actually calling us who represent the kingdom of heaven here on earth, what we are, the church. And in this particular passage, he's speaking about a very important and vital role that the church has, which is to one of both restoration and of protection. And so we're going to explore that in a moment, but we're also going to use this time of talking about the church and its role as a springboard to a new series in the weeks ahead. And it'll actually have us springing from the Gospel of Matthew to the Epistle of Romans. And if you recall the epistle that was just read by Rebecca, there's a lot. It's like a quick staccato presentation of what the character and the values are of the church, what God is calling us to be. I think that's appropriate for us as a new community. We are still a church startup. There's very much part of the formational aspect of that. And, and so to really spend some time within the Romans 12 framework, understanding what our calling is, what are the values, what are the virtues, if you want to use that term, that God is expecting of any community of believers. I think as we do that, it'll help us get some common language, some common expectations. So this is sort of a stay tuned aspect of that. But, but one of the primary roles that you see the church doing is trying to restore brothers uh, in this who can go astray or can be sort of, sort of dragged into places that they were once freed from, aspects of sin, areas of, of old man living, old habits, if you will. And so this is how Jesus is instructing his, his disciples, he's instructing his church and we want to look at it really in, in three parts, if you will. First, before we understand what, what he means when he says, you know, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his sin, just, but you, just between you and him, there's, there's a lot in that. But before we get there, we really want to cover the background, if you will. What's the why behind the, the expectation that Jesus is setting? And then we can go to the, to the expectation itself. Second part of our message will be speaking about the what. What is it that Jesus is specifically asking us as a church to do? And then the third part will be just some practical implications of what that looks like in practice. Because I don't know about you, but when you heard the gospel read by Cindy, I'm sure most people kind of caught their breath a bit going, oh, great, just what I wanted to do. Just think about how I can confront somebody about their sin. And that's not necessarily you know, all that we're talking about, but it does have a central role. So let, let's really start to unpack that by looking at the why, if you will, of what's being asked. You know, Matthew text uh, lays out specifically what it means to, to confront somebody. If your brother sins against you, 
you know, go and, and tell him his fault just between you and him alone. And the background behind that, you should see just in that first command, and it is a command, both uh, an aspect of regard for the brother who's sinning, and I'll just use the term brother um, because that's what's in the text, but it is universal. But the brother who is sinning is the one who we, if he sinned against you, you are to go to him. But it's an act of regard. It's an act of restoration. And, but it's also an act of protection. And the reason for that is that the church is Jesus' representation of the kingdom that is to come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. And so right now we are to be, and we are tasked with being that community that is formed by Christ, that loves him, that is in him, that lives for him. And it is that community that glorifies him by what we do, that shows his mercy and compassion to those that need it, to those who are outcast, to the outsiders, if you will, to those who are in the most desperate strains and situations of life. That's one of the roles of the church, that they would be invited in, that they would see that there's a hope and a future, and that how we live together as a community, as a church, is but a foretaste of how we will be called to live when we are with him forever, when he comes and collects his saints, that hope of heaven, if you will. That is when all that we are aspiring to be and all that we are trying to practice now will come into full fruition. But right now, until that happens, we are in this outpost. We are still people on the way to being perfected in Christ. But let's be honest, we all have our imperfections uh, that we still need to wrestle with. And so it's out of that concern that, that there can be a brother or sister at times who just drifts back into that old life. And so the Lord is desirous that we as a church fulfill that calling as his bride, fulfill that calling. He calls us a royal priesthood. Fulfill that designation that we have as a holy nation. To be holy is to be set apart. And so this protocol, if you will, this command that he's giving the church is in keeping with that goal, with that responsibility. Jesus here is being, if the Ezekiel reading was talking about a sentinel or other translations call it a watchman. The watchman in Old Testament times was someone who called out, blew a trumpet to the Israelites when danger was approaching. And it was on the watchman to make sure that that trumpet blast was loud enough, the warning was loud enough, so that they could prepare for the battle that lay ahead, so that they would not be caught by surprise and they would not be overwhelmed. And so in a very spiritual way, Ezekiel is called by God to be that watchman to Israel, to make sure that he is calling out the danger that if they do not repent and turn from their ways, they will face a judgment that is not not a blessing, but a tragedy. They'll face the judgment of not coming into the full plan and intention that God had for them. And so Jesus and our lectionary is, is having us in this role of watchmen. It's important for us to do that. And this isn't just the lectionary authors that are doing this. This whole idea of a sentinel or watchman is something that the Apostle Paul earnestly identified with. You might recall that in Ephesians, excuse me, Acts 20, when he is saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, he says this, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God 
keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds as the church of God, which has brought, which he bought with his own blood. Paul is saying, I have acted as a watchman, faithful in the spirit of Ezekiel. I have I've pronounced warning where there's warning to be pronounced. I've made invitation where invitation is, is appropriate. I have essentially done the duties that God has given me. And so by extension, that's our call as his church. We too are to be that watchman, particularly those who are in church leadership. And so this is a bit of the background of, of what Jesus is asking us specifically to do. So uh, before we turn there, I, I just want us to, to understand that it's, the importance of this lies in the fact that if we don't do it, there's, you know, that we can allow the body of Christ to, to where sin gets in there. It has this corrosive effect. You know, it can just corrosion. If you're a structural engineer, and I am clearly not, but I've done enough reading or talked to enough that if you have corrosion on a, on any kind of metal structure over time, that will, that will undermine, sabotage the integrity of the structure. And you can read any number of tragedies that have happened just in this country alone of structural failure due to corrosion that wasn't caught. And in a way, sin has that same corrosive effect on the body of Christ. And almost with, with far too greater regularity, we can read about uh, churches and Christian organizations and educational institutions where that corrosion wasn't identified or wasn't called out. Somebody didn't say, you know, that has, we have a structural issue here. We have something that needs to go on. We have, we have a sin that has just allowed its way to, to percolate in and to have a destructive effect. And so that's why the what is so important. What is Christ asking us to do? And he's saying, as I said, the first step, if your brother sins against you, go to your brother and, and tell him his fault just between you and, and him. And we know that this is fraught with challenge, don't we? We know that this is not something that we sign up to do. We, this is, we are in a culture right now that, that hates to be judgmental. The very fact that we would actually, you know, think that we could go to somebody and say, hey, do you mind if I just let you know that you offended me, you, you sinned against me? It's like, well, who are you to tell me that? That's usually our first kind of anticipated response. And if that's not and so that usually puts us on our back heels. It makes us reluctant to do that. Sometimes we'd prefer just to tell somebody else. When somebody offends you, what's, what's your typical reaction? Is it to go and talk to them and say, you know, this was a sin um, against me? Or is it to tell somebody else? Tell a friend, a prayer partner, a pastor. When we just leave it there to tell somebody else, we're really just trying to soothe our own sense of being hurt. We're trying to salve the wound that we feel, but we're not trying to do what Jesus is commanding us to do, and that is to go and help that brother be restored. You know, we're, we're so, we, it's the sin that's been the, the thing that's wounded us at the hands of the brother, but we should be um, loving enough, regarding that person enough to go and point that out, that they would truly be restored. And we should love the church body that we are both a part of, to, to know that that sin, if you will, that we experienced is something that needs to be looked at and something that needs to be dealt with unless it is allowed to grow and to have its own corrosive effect within our local body. And we're not just talking about, say, the body called Holy Trinity. We're talking about any Christian circles that are 
we're a regular part of. Could be it's your family, it's your circle of friends, it could be a Bible study or another church that you're you've been a part of. Where, wherever that is, calling out sin when you've been the recipient of the the offense is important. Now let's be clear: sin is not just any time you feel offended. Sin is what Scripture describes sin. Sin includes things like uh, if you see somebody and they're uh, they're they're greedy instead of generous. They are uh, prone to a certain kind of off-color humor or a sexual immorality. They are in a place where, where anger or rage is too frequently a part of how they respond to people. And you know that, again, just thinking about some churches, that that has been something that churches have had to deal with, with even within their leadership. Another part that New Testament writers are often dealing with is just teaching that is contrary to Scripture, contrary to the clear revelation of what Jesus has preached. And so throughout church history, there have been controversies around the person of Christ. Is he fully human, fully, or is he fully divine? That was a debate within church circles at various times. And so all these, you know, to hold a, a, a wrong teaching or to, to think you have to be sort of uh, Christ plus something, some kind of syncretistic kind of conglomerate of teaching, which still is in some aspects of, of Christian practice in the world today. All these things can have an impact on the church. And if you're the recipient of that, or if you see that in action, what Jesus is saying, go to your brother, tell him the fault, and just you and him alone. If he responds, then you've won your brother over. You've, you've, tamped out the, you've stamped out the sin. You've cut through the, the corrosive impact. You've restored them, and you've protected the body from any further sin. But if it doesn't, then that has a way of multiplying, doesn't it? It can lead to a dysfunction that occurs within the body. And the dysfunctions themselves, you know, we, I think many of us can testify to being in a group where where there wasn't honest communication, where people weren't confronting issues that needed to be confronted. They weren't talking about things. And out of this reluctance, this hesitancy, this fear, call it what you will, comes this emerging dysfunction. Last uh, fall, there was a seminar for a bunch of local church leaders and ministry team members uh, by a guy named Patrick Lencioni. Some of you are familiar with him. He's written many books about you know, optimal team performance. He's mostly a business consultant. One of his books is called Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And I was looking at that recently, and four of the dysfunctions, I think, can be traced to a failure to really deal with stuff as it comes out. So the four of these functions are the absence of trust, the fear of conflict, the avoidance of accountability, and the lack of commitment. Think about these in order. If you have an absence of trust, when if we don't deal with... Uh, sin that somebody commits that we are wounded by, we are not going to be able to regain the trust that the Lord wants between that person and ourselves. We are going to do any number of avoidant behaviors, walk on eggshells, pretend it didn't happen, uh, not go there again in terms of the subject matter. These are dysfunctions that can creep in. That's the absence of trust, fear of conflict. We know that, you know that we won't sort of go down that path once again. But conflict and confrontation in, a, in a, its proper context is really meant to be healthy and meant to be good. If we're not willing to deal with it, then everybody avoids accountability. And we just sort of limp along as an organization. 
And when that happens, then there can be just a lack of commitment. Let's face it, people can grow pretty tired of that as a dynamic on a church team and a church fellowship. You certainly grow tired of it as business. I can tell you that in my years in tech, those your best performers, people that are that you most value in your organization, they will be the first ones to grow tired of it because they're like, this isn't sort of the high caliber group I came to be a part of. And so they'll look elsewhere. And <laughs> it makes sense to, to deal with this when you see it. That's just sort of a sort of a executive sidebar here. But here's the point. It's the same within the church. In fact, the, the consequences are even more pronounced. You know, Lencioni is dealing with people, organizations that if they don't do it, they don't make their profit, they don't make their goals, they're not uh, growing the way they want. But if we don't do it as a church, then literally the, the witness of the church can be compromised. The people that God would have seen come to faith through our healthy witness uh, have a harder time doing that. You know that there's nuns and duns and, and, and people in that category, particularly folks that are categorized as kind of done with Christianity. Sometimes they're done with it because they see such a disconnect between what Scripture plainly teaches and how people are living that out. And when it comes to having honest conversations about places where, where we've been hurt and the desire to really not, you know, get back at them, but really to see them restored you know, when we're able to put that on display, that really says a lot. You can take a fracture and actually make it a better situation, relationally speaking, just by doing this. So churches, you know, this is a command. You can see in, in that, I just want to be clear that we're talking about when we are sinned against. We're not talking about when people have differences of opinions people's opinions are different than ours. Lord knows there's plenty of different opinions out there. And there's some serious questions before us as a country, uh, as a culture, questions about race and questions about what is a just society and questions about how to deal with pandemic and and how to be responsible to our fellow uh, neighbors and friends and all these things. These are real. But And you know that there's an array of opinions on these subjects. But the fact that somebody has a very different opinion than yours does not mean that they have necessarily sinned against you. It may mean that you you may not believe that they could possibly think that, say that. You thought you knew who they were, but you're seeing some stuff in social media, and now you're not sure you know who they are. You know what? That may not, you, you may want to engage them, but you can engage them differently. You don't have to necessarily engage them from a posture of, hey, I think you're sinning against me. Remember that the early church, and Uh, and the church in general had to go through some serious issues to talk about these things, think about stuff, pray about it. It's the same with us today. There are serious issues in front of us, and people can come or start from a variety of different places. But the important thing is to engage and to engage within that framework of love. And so um, we need to, and I'll talk about that in the practical section about how to do that from the framework of love, but just to kind of close out this part of what Christ is commanding us to do. Go to your brother if he's sinned against you. Point it out. But then there's an escalation. If that doesn't happen, then take two or three witnesses. It's, it presumes that the sin, the offense, is starting to be public enough so that other people can see some of these manifestations that you've been the recipient of that aren't pleasant, and they can go and kind of be corroborating witnesses. If that still isn't, if they still don't respond, if they're still not won over, then tell it to the church. 
and the church invokes a discipline, still with the idea that that brother would be won over. But if not, the brother is no longer able to misrepresent Christ within that body. And so the restorative function um, is subordinate to the protection function of the church, of the body, of the well-being, so that that church remains the radiant bride of Christ, still able to, to be the kingdom of God. Let's talk practically about what that looks like. So we walk out the Matthew passage here, 18, chapter 18, verses 15 to 20, but as we live out the Romans passage of Romans 12, 9 to 21. And in that, you see that all of this, that, that environment, that firm foundation of love that is genuine, of brotherly affection, of the way that we come from a posture of humility, of trying to outdo one another with love and good deeds, of being generous, of, of not letting ourselves be provoked, if you will, of being long-suffering. All that's the environment of the church that we'll explore in the weeks ahead, because that's not easy. But it is, if we're able to live that out, it really gives us a foundation to be able to have this kind of hard conversation with somebody. So very practically, if you're in that kind of situation... Um, pray about that. Bathe the situation in prayer. If you've been offended by somebody, if you've genuinely been wounded by what they've said or by what they've done to you, just start to bring it to the Lord in prayer. And as you are, are led to go talk to them, know that you're a watchman. You're a sentinel that God is sending for their restoration and for the good of the body that you're a part of. And so just a couple questions as we close. You know, where are you in this equation? Are, are, is there... As you've been listening to this, is there an overdue conversation where there's just somebody regularly in your Christian circle and the way they are, that vestige of still worldly living, that vestige of still the old person, the old man that hasn't quite been lifted off and you're still the recipient of that. Is there a conversation, a confrontation, if you will, that's overdue where just say, this is wounding me. This is sin. I, you know, I want what God wants for you. Or is there somebody that's been trying to get your attention on that same matter? Somebody who maybe they haven't been as direct as perhaps they need to be, but they've been trying to tell you things. Uh, that often happens in a marriage, I'll say. Uh, that happens with people that are closest to you. Be receptive to that. It, again, they, whether they come at you in necessarily just the way you'd like them to, the fact that they're coming is an act of love is a desire to have you restored uh, and even better, more the person that God has made you to be. So, however, let's close with this. However you answer these questions, keep in mind that it is the Lord who has your best interests at heart, that he wants you and the fellowship that you're in to be this vibrant community that has him well on display, and that the role you play in that is not just for your own benefit, but it is for the body of believers. And so as hard as, as this challenge is on the subject of confronting a person, the benefits to that person in the church, as well as the immense way that it glorifies God, far outweigh the momentary discomfort that we're going to feel. It is an act of love for that person. It's an act of love for the church. And it is a blessing to the Lord Almighty. So may he just give us his, his spirit to penetrate that word deep into our hearts as is necessary. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the sermon podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinity.com.
sv.org.